Hello, and welcome to the Church on the Hill podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to join us live this Sunday at 500 Sands Drive in San Jose, California. Visit churchonthehill.com for service times and directions, and also to learn more about connecting, growing, and serving at Church on the Hill. Now, please enjoy our sermon at Church on the Hill. We're continuing in this series of life-giving habits, and what that is, is we just, it's kind of looking at the fact that there's a life that God has for us, and it's the most fulfilling, incredible, best possible option life that we can have, right? You cannot achieve a greater life than the life that God designed for you, and he designed it for you specifically to be able to have that and experience the depth of joy and fulfillment and all these other things that only he can provide. But the truth is, for a lot of us, we're not experiencing that life or we're not experiencing it to the fullest. And the reason why is because there's beliefs, thoughts, habits, whatever it is, that stand in the way of we're kind of here and that's there, and those beliefs and habits tend to be the roadblocks. And sometimes the roadblocks are bad things, they're bad habits, they're bad thoughts, whatever it is, and sometimes it's the lack of the good things. There should be things present, and they're not present, therefore we don't experience that life to the fullest. And this morning we're going to talk about both sides, but we're going to do it a little bit differently because we've been going through the book of Ephesians, and Scott left off last week in Ephesians 5, and we're going to continue in Ephesians 5 and even some of Ephesians 6, but what we're going to do this week is a little bit different than what we've been doing or how we usually do things, because usually, say we're in the book of Ephesians like we are, we take the words of Paul and we specifically look at them and go, okay, what does it mean to live that out? What exactly is Paul saying and what does that mean to us? But this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to do things a little different. We're going to ask the question, why is Paul writing this? What was his goal? What's his intent? If all of this were accomplished, what's the thing that he wants to see happen? What is it? What is the big picture when we step back of why Paul is writing this? And the answer to it is community. It's Christ-like community. How do we do Christ-like community with one another? How do we connect and grow like Christ has called us to? And that's what this list is. And it starts like this. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 to 2, Paul says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. How do you like that as a call for the start? (laughs) Right? Be imitators of God. That's a high bar. And then he continues on, as beloved children and walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, what are we called to do in our walk with each other? We are called to love like Christ loved. We are called to imitate God to each other. You're supposed to be a little reflection of God's love to other people, and they're supposed to be that reflection back. And Paul continues on, and he says this. Actually, I'm not going to say what he said because it's a long passage, but in chapter 5 and chapter 6, Paul gives us a whole lot of things that as we're supposed to be that reflection of God to others, we're supposed to do these things, and we're not supposed to do other things. So I went through... 
And I grabbed some things on the yes list, and I grabbed some things on the no list, and I put them together, so we're going to take a look at some of them, all right? The yes list is this. Be imitators of God. Walk in love. Give thanks. Walk as children of light. Expose darkness and bring it to the light. Understand the will of the Lord. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Address each other with psalms and hymns. Giving thanks. Submitting to others. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church. Give yourself up for her. Children, obey your parents. Honor your father and mother. And parents, discipline and instruct your kids in the way of the Lord. Easy. Yeah, exactly. Thank you for getting it. Now, wait, it gets better. Here's the no list. Do not have any sexual immorality amongst you. Have no impurity. Do not covet. No filthiness. No foolish talk. No crude joking. No being foolish. Don't get drunk. And fathers, don't provoke your children. There we go. Have a good Sunday. (laughs) Imitate God and then accomplish the do's and the don'ts there. Right? It's an incredibly high bar. And my question for you is, Paul is calling this to the church in Ephesians to go, or in the church in Ephesus, here's how you're supposed to live. My question for us is, Paul is addressing this community with this much confrontation is, when is the last time you had a conversation like that? I don't want you to raise your hand or actually respond, but think through when the last time you sat someone down or someone sat you down and said, hey, let's talk about your covening. Let's talk about your sexual immorality. Let's talk about you, whether or not you're submitting to your husband. Husband, let's talk about whether or not you are laying down your life for your spouse. Want to make it even more fun? Let's talk about your parenting and see if it's godly. So quiet in here. Why? Because for most of us, we feel like we're struggling in those areas, so we feel defensive and we feel like a fight's coming and we don't want to have that conversation. We feel like we're being judged and picked on, so we go, I don't want anything to do with that. And probably even more so, we go, I really don't want to deliver that. Because that powder keg is going to go big boom. And I think something that we have to understand here that's so incredibly important is this. Paul is not trying to make the people feel guilty for their behavior. Paul's desire is not that you feel bad for what you've done. I think it's fair to say Paul is probably not the person that wants to pull out behaviors and go, let's just take a look at those because Paul's life before coming to Christ was literally hunting down Christians and killing them or making life as terrible as possible. This man is not looking to go, hey, let's just make it about behavior. What we have to understand is Paul's desire, Paul's heart in this is not to just make you feel guilty for behavior. His desire is to show you that your behavior is a reflection of your heart. The reason why you have those behaviors is because your heart has those things inside of it. And if your heart has those things, if it has wicked and evil and messed up brokenness, then it is not close to God. And if it is not close to God in those areas, then you cannot experience the life that God has for you. 
If that exists in your heart, then your heart cannot have the connection to God that allows you to have the experience that God wants you to have. And if there's any person that's going to know that in a very intimate way, it is Paul. Paul's done the human heart that has bitterness and anger and struggle, and he's taken it out on a group of people, and he's lived it, and he has very much experienced what it's like to have that heart. And then he was transformed, and he took Christ's heart and got rid of his human heart, and he realized the difference of life that was there. And so he looks at this people, and he goes, please, please don't see this as just behavior. Understand that your behaviors are a reflection of your heart, and what I care about is your heart, because your heart will show whether or not you're actually going to experience the life that God has for you. And if your heart is full of all those things, then I know for a fact, or if your behavior is there, then your heart is there, and if your heart is there, then you cannot be experiencing it, and his deep desire is that you would experience the love of Christ and the life that he has for you. That we would experience Christ-like community the way that he set up Christ-like community to be. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The human heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And we see that, that when we have the human heart, it is so ugly and there's so many messed up things. And what that means is it's not that we need to fix the behaviors, it's that we need to take the heart of Christ and allow that to overcome the human heart and drive that away. And I know for some of you guys, you're probably sitting here thinking, okay, Josh, I understand the issues of the heart, but what does this have to do with community? And I want to answer that by telling you a story. Um, At the start of this school year, my wife and I were trying to make a significant decision um, about our youngest daughter and where she should go to school. She went to a pre-K and had a great experience and loved it there. And so one option was continuing there. And then the other option was going to this public school that we actually got her into and we were excited that she got into and we were trying to weigh the decision. And it's a big decision. And there was a lot of pros and cons on each side. And there was a lot of weight to the choice. And so we came to this place where we said, okay, here's the things that we need to get figured out to be able to make this decision. Let's check these boxes, and then in the midst of that, once we get those boxes checked, we'll be able to make a choice after that. But then as often happens, life did what life does, and it got busy and sped up, and my wife got put in this position where she was kind of stuck with, you have to make a decision, and it's got to be pretty quick, and she was just placed in the midst of that. And so she made that decision at that time, and I didn't get to be a part of it. And so she told me after, hey, here's what happened, and here's what it led to, and here's the decision that I made. And for me, I was mad. And to say I was mad is probably a nice pastor way on stage of explaining how I actually felt. And so I had this anger, frustration, hurt, whatever we're going to call it inside of me. And what I did in the midst of that is I decided to take that and just throw it back at her. So when things would come up like, hey, 
I needed this stuff for the new school or I need help with this for school, I would say something like, well, you made the decision on your own, so I'm assuming you can accomplish all of that on your own, right? Like if you made that choice by yourself, then clearly you can do all of that by yourself. So why don't you go ahead and take care of it? Yeah, I know, it's not right. And to be honest, for at least a handful of days, which might be generous on my side too, I just was very unloving, very unkind, very much not the person I was supposed to be towards my wife because of one decision. And finally, because she was more mature than me and more loving to me, she finally came to me in tears and said, Josh, I understand that I did not make the decision how I was supposed to make it or how we talked about it, and I'm sorry for that. But the way you have responded and the way you have treated me is just so wrong. The response you've chosen is just so wrong. And I don't know what's going on inside of you or inside of your heart that made you do this. But you claim to be trying to follow Christ, and this is not what that looks like. And I think to make matters worse, at church here, we were in the middle of like a forgiveness series. And so she was like, this is by no means what forgiveness looks like. And I had to take a very honest sit-down reflection of myself and go, you know what? She's right. She's 100% right. And it took her being a phenomenal wife and her being truly loving and her having the humility to come to me. And instead of just throwing hurt back because I was hurting her and being immature like I was, she had to take the higher road and be loving and go, let me show you the mirror of what you're actually doing right now, Josh. And I had to receive that and go, what is it inside of me that makes me think that's okay? And that's the point. I thought I was 100% justified. She had done something wrong. I was just doing the consequences. I had been wronged. I was allowed to do it. My messed up behavior that I can look back now and see clearly was not appropriate. At that time, I literally was convinced 100% I'm not in the wrong. She wronged me. You did what we said we weren't going to do. And so for some reason, I thought I was validated in that. And I was 100% clear, I was not in the wrong at all, I was fully justified. And it took her love to go, Josh, look at your heart. And I know as a pastor, I'm supposed to have all the answers of, oh, here's what was in my heart. I haven't fully unpacked it. It wasn't that long ago. I still have to figure out, how did I justify that? But the beauty of it is, I never would have seen it if she didn't call it out in me. And if that exists in me, then I'm never going to be able to experience the love and the life God has for me in that area because I was blind to it. And I needed her to do that for me in true love. And so why is community so important for our heart? Because you can't see your blind spot. That's what makes it a blind spot. 
We have to have other people to show us, man, your human heart is deceitful and it's messed up and I need to give you a mirror so you can see it and you can work through it and then later you can turn it over to God the way it's supposed to be and then you can start to experience the life that he has for you, but you can't get there without seeing those things. So I had to have that. As much as it hurt and I didn't like it, I had to have it. How else is community absolutely vital to our heart? I think this part might be even more true. For so many of us, we walk around with lies and we say things to ourselves in our heads that are absolutely not the truth that God wants us to have. We allow ourselves to think things and say things to ourselves that are so wrong and so messed up, we would never say them to someone else. How many moms in this room walk around and go, oh, I'm such a failure as a mom. I'm such a terrible mom. And it's because you forgot to bring like the right shoes to the park for your kid. Or there's one part of the 8,000 pieces that go into a bottle that you left at home. And so you tell yourself, oh, I'm failing as a mom. How many dads walk around going, man, I'm trying to go to work and provide for my family and I'm trying to be a husband and I'm trying to be a father and I'm trying to do all these different things and I'm spread so thin that I'm just failing at all of them. Across the board, I just fall short. How many kids are walking around going, man, no matter how much I do, no matter how much my grades are good, no matter how much I obey, no matter how much I try to do the right thing, it's never enough. I just can't do enough. It's never enough. And the truth is that evil thrives in darkness. And when we allow those thoughts to stay in our head, they stay in the darkness and they thrive and they eat away. And Satan feeds it to us and gives it to us hook, line, and sinker and just keeps letting it grow. And the truth is we have to bring it to the light to usually have those things be abolished and get rid of them. And what that often looks like is we have to speak it to another person. So they can hear you say, gosh, I feel like a failure as a mom. And they say, because you forgot shoes? Because you didn't pack them a water bottle? Really? You were never called to be perfect. Just because you're not perfect doesn't mean you're failing. Is a dad because you stayed late at work and you missed the first half of the game or the first half of whatever and you tell yourself, gosh, I just failed. I'm a failure as a dad. I don't show up. You need to speak it to someone so they can say, does that really mean you're a failure as a dad? Really? Is that actually the truth that God wants you to be holding in your mind or is maybe that a lie that Satan has put there? Child, do you really think you're supposed to be great or judged by your grades and your obedience? You don't think you have more to offer? But we don't get the truth until we speak it into the light of day and get it out of the darkness of our minds where it just breathes and grows. When we get it into the light, we can see it for what it is and go, wait a second. That's a lie. That's not a truth I'm supposed to hold on to. 
and possibly even more importantly. This last one. I think one of the incredible things that community does is it doesn't just expose our blind spots. And it doesn't force us to just take the lies and be real with them. But I think one of the most important things that Paul is driving at is what Christ-like community does is it actually puts on display the truth of Christ. It allows us to tangibly feel and be real with the fact that when you're broken, when you're messed up, when you sin, when you have issues, you are still loved and you are still accepted. In the midst of your brokenness, you are still loved and you are still accepted and you are still a child of God and there is still a future and there's still hope and there's still a plan for you. Because for most of us, we've told ourselves for years and for years and for years, my sin, my brokenness, my struggle makes me unaccepted and unloved. Therefore, I will hide it from everyone else and I will fake it and act like it's not there. And if we live that way with other people, then why wouldn't we assume God is the same way? And so we keep trying to hide those things. And what we desperately need, probably more than even the other two, is to have an expression of Christ's love who says, even when you were sinners, I died for you. I love you in the midst of your brokenness, in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your sin. You are still accepted. I still have a plan for you, and I'm not done. And to allow that to take root because the truth is we often don't believe it. And so we need a tangible expression from a group of people that show us Christ truly does love us and accept us. And when we speak it to someone else, we get a glimpse of Christ's love and we begin to believe the foundational truth of what Christ is actually saying to us. That even in the midst of your sin and your struggles and your brokenness and your hurt, you are still loved and you're still accepted. And God is by no means done, and your story is still ahead of you, and there is a lot to look forward to. But the hard part is this. To experience that, we have to have a Christ-like community. We have to actually be loving. We have to actually dig in. We have to actually be honest and vulnerable and open. We have to live out what Paul is calling us to and have our hearts in the right spot to be able to accomplish that. And the truth is this, often that's not where we're at. A lot of times we see those things going on and we see those behaviors that are reflections of the heart and we either just try to address the behavior, hey, let's try to just drink a little less. Let's try to not have so much screen time and limit the screen time a little bit. And we get stuck in the behavior and we just try to address that instead of addressing what's actually going on in your heart that makes you want to be distracted all the time or that makes you feel the need to cope with that like that. Or probably more likely, we just don't address it. We see people floundering. We see people struggling. We see the issues that they're having. And we just, we either choose to not deal with it or we tell ourselves this. We go, you know what? They're already hurting and they're already struggling and I don't want to make it worse by bringing it up. 
They have conversations with us where they're venting about their spouse or their kids or their boss or whatever else. And we just listen to them. Just keep going. Instead of asking the hard question of, hey, what do you think your role in that might be? Do you think that there's a chance that maybe it's not all one person and not the other? Do you think that there's something you might be doing that's fueling that fire? Do you think that maybe you have a role in this? Do you think God might be calling you to respond differently or to act differently in the midst of this instead of just blaming the other person? But we don't have that conversation. And a lot of times what we tell ourselves is if they're struggling and if they're hurting, I'm going to make it worse by bringing it up or by digging into it. But newsflash for you, when people are struggling and broken and hurting, it's usually hard to get out of bed and have your feet hit the floor before you've had that thought. You're not bringing up a new thought. It's a thought they've had for a long time. But you know what thought they probably haven't had? That in the midst of their brokenness, they're loved and accepted. That in the midst of the struggle, they're loved and accepted, and there's still a future. And if they make some adjustments, they can still experience the life God has for them. And what I think is so important is we have to train ourselves and remind ourselves that love is not the path of least resistance. Love is the path to the best possible outcome. Let me say that again. Being loving towards someone is not the easiest option. It is not the path of least resistance. Being loving is the path to the best possible outcome. And what that takes is a Christ-like community. And a Christ-like community is not just a group of people that gets together and hangs out and spends time and labels it fellowship because it's attached to a church. Christ-like community is being open and vulnerable, and honest, and real, and also being truly loving to step in and to ask the questions and to provoke the conversations and to represent God and to go, okay, how do the two of us together become more Christ-like so that we can experience the life that God has for us? But it takes something out of both parties. It takes something out of both sides. And we can't continue to just make excuses like, "Ah, I don't want to just make it hard on them. We have to come to the realization that being loving is not the easiest option most of the time. We have to want the greatest possible good and represent God in that and represent God to each other and go, how do we help each other grow to actually get to that place where you've replaced your deceitful human heart with a Christ-like heart? Because when you have a Christ-like heart, then you can experience the life that God has for you, and that life is far greater than any other option. And so as we wrap up, I want to close with two questions. And the first question is this. How much are you hiding? How much sits inside of you? It's the thoughts, it's the beliefs, it's the actions that no one else knows about. 
How much is there inside of you that stays in the darkness and you leave it in your mind or you leave it inside of you, but no one else knows about it? And what is God calling you to in that? And the second question is this. Are you truly loving? We're called to be imitators of God, to show Christ-like love to others. And love is not the easiest option. It is not the path of least resistance. It's the path to the best possible outcome. So are you truly loving others? John 13, 34 to 35 says this, A new commandment I give you, that you are to love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The words of Jesus Christ. A new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you. Christ himself, who loved better than anyone ever could, who created perfect love for us, says, I am asking you to love one another the way that I have loved you. So the question is, are you truly loving one another? Because the Christ-like community Paul is calling us to is not just hanging out and spending time together. It's not the path of least resistance. And for all of us, if we're going to experience this love that God has for us and experience the life that God has for us, we have to have a Christ-like community. And that means we play a role on both sides of it. So as we go, wrestle with those questions and enjoy your time in community group. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you so much for how much you love us. I thank you for the example you give us of how we're supposed to love each other and how we're supposed to do this life with each other. Father, I ask that you would give us the bravery to share the depth of what's in us so we can expose it to the light and your truth can sink deep into us. And Father, as people share or as we try to draw things out, I ask that we would truly be loving towards each other. Lord, that we wouldn't go for the path of least resistance, but we would choose the best possible outcome and we would truly love like you have loved us so we can experience the life that only you can give, Lord. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this time. Amen.